Time once again for This Week at Windsor. Your host, Arden Beach, joining me, Dr. J, once again. Hello for another week. Hello, and congratulations to the best-dressed cowboy. Yep. I was calling you Woody. Well-deserved. Yep. Well-deserved. Everyone else, the effort they put in, a little sad, a little disappointing, to be honest. A lot of people, assuming that they couldn't just pick a shirt out of the cupboard and just grab a hat that was on the bench and come along and win stuff. You know, if you if you're going to come along, just with sort of a fifty percent effort, don't bother. Fair enough, fair enough. I think you just described what I did. I went to the closet, got out some clothes from what I had in Burke. But I want to know how much time did you spend putting into your ensemble on Saturday night? Ten seconds. I described it as it happened. I have no <laughs> idea who made up that competition or what the rules were. <laughs> I reckon it's the black hat. A black hat just goes a long way. Can you give us just one or two lines from Woody? From Toy Story. If anyone who's, wasn't there on Saturday night, Arden won Best Dressed Cowboy in part because of his output, but in other part because he looked like Woody from Toy Story. We do have a similar build. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And the boots to match. I didn't check the bottom of your boot because... It didn't say Andy. It, yeah, but are we sure? That would have been cool. That would have been awesome. That would have been a good idea. Um, Give me there's one. a snake in my boot. There you go. Now, the lovely, I should mention to the lovely um, music that we had, our intro yeah. and outro music that we have each and every week, we didn't just pirate from some website. Your son, Elijah, actually made that for us. Yeah, it wasn't pirated. It was just straight up hijacked, lifted. Cre- creative genius. Yes. No, he's quite the gifted musician, and uh, that was actually part of a ringtone that he made for an assessment. So I said, hey, let's take out these bits, and can I, can I, can I steal the other one? We'll give you credit. So thank you, Elijah. It's fantastic. Just on the jamboree again, what, it was, what a great night. I had a great time. Such a good time. If you didn't get a chance to come, uh, A, I feel bad for you, but, but B, make plans to come next year. I want to say kudos to Teresa Johnson and her whole team, uh, veritable company of volunteers uh, the band was fantastic we had swamp dolkins again they were great i would just appreciated the vibe how would you describe the vibe on the night arden oh i just i think very warm and inviting um they just created a space where folks could come up regardless of your you know any dancing skill and just have a good time yeah. that's right and I, I think that's what puts some people off is they hear the word dance and they immediately think i don't want to feel awkward but bush dancing especially with a band like this, it's great because you're told exactly what to do. Just good family vibe. Yeah, and endless food and drinks, as it seemed. Yeah, it was really great. Yeah, we had a, we had a good time. I, I was pleased to meet a number of people that I hadn't got a chance to really spend some time with before, so it's a good chance to mingle. And it, it was a reminder to us, I was talking to Steve-O earlier, it's a reminder to us that there's real value in just being together. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was a great night. Now, coming up, um, on this week's podcast, we've got an amazing guest, Eddie Bang. He's on the way. Before we get to Eddie, though, uh, one of the issues we're kind of grappling with at the moment coming out of the last meeting was the weekly communions, which apparently was a bigger issue than I had expected it to be. Yeah, look, I, it's, I think a few things could be said about that. First, any time we talk about how people worship, it's going to invite you know strong desires and convictions because... No one comes to church because they don't love God. They come to church because they love God and they want to worship him. And and I think when you begin to talk about, um, you know, 
why we do certain things or, or even just changing anything subtly, you know, whether it's singing less hymns than you used to before or, you know, praying in a certain way. I think it's going to cause people to um, have, you know, strong thoughts and opinions. And we, we receive that. We, we want to, to get that feedback. And that's why we're going to be having a Corinthian conversation on Sunday, uh, the 11th. So with that may, you know, flow into another Corinthian conversation the following week. Um, we're not trying to, uh, to do this, uh, separate from, from the, the membership. We're trying to collaborate together and, and hear one another. Um, but ultimately keep the focus on Jesus. Now, I don't know if anyone would have guessed yet from the accent, but you're actually not a local. <laughs> and, uh, you're, uh, you're heading home shortly for a trip. Yeah, no, we're so excited about this. Very blessed. Uh, we get the opportunity to head over to the U.S. That's where Joanna and I met. Um, she spent about half her life there. I was born there uh, and raised there. So, yeah, we're getting to take the kids back. They haven't seen uh, grandparents in in the States for a while. Uh, haven't been to, back to their home country in a while. So very thankful to the church for supporting us, being able to do that. We've been very encouraged we got a big trip plan. We're going to you know, multiple cities and hope to get to Disneyland. Hope to hope to catch a footy game, uh, NFL NFL game. Uh, I'm gonna see, you know, connect, spend time with family. Joanna's got a family reunion, so that's interesting. Um, looking forward to that as well. So, yeah. Other than that, just trying to work out how can I drive on the other side of the road and make sure that uh, we're. And we don't come back about 30 pounds heavier than we left. <laughs> they do love their big portions over there. Massive portions, yeah. Well, it's our privilege this evening to have with us Eddie Bang. Eddie Bang is a great friend of mine. Our new, uh, I've had a chance to get to know him a little bit. What do you think so far? Amazing. And I, I said earlier, if you shaved your head, 100% the Sorcerer Supreme from Doctor Strange. Identical. <laughs> Uh, Eddie, tell us tell us uh, a bit about kind of what you do. First of all, thanks for coming. Thanks, thanks for inviting me. Uh, <laughs> what do I do? Yeah, well, I'm a do. pastor. I, I currently pastor at a church in Greenacre, yeah. and I am the English minister to a Korean immigrant church in Greenacre at the moment. Now, you and I got to know each other. Uh, I'm trying to remember how we even met. Was it through? Ray Chang. Right. Uh, so Ray Chang was a church planner, and uh, Eddie, you came to Australia doing church planning. Is that right? What was kind of, what was your entrance into Australia? Well, my old college roommate, or my uni roommate, he was actually ministering here at a Korean American church in Sydney, and he had invited me to speak at a conference, which I did here, and I loved it. So then he invited me to come partner with him to church plant. And I said, okay. After I got married, I think we both, my wife and I both felt like church planting was what God wanted for us. And so that's where I met Ray. Mm. I took a class in, was it Biola? I don't I forget where it was. That's right. You know, in LA. So Eddie and I come from very similar, um, I guess, theological roots. We, we went to the same seminary, different times though. I've been here in Australia now 17 years. Yes. How long were you in the US? Uh, I moved here when I was 32 years old. Okay. So do you do you feel you're Korean, American, or Australian, or a mix? It's a mix. I don't know what I am. Uh, you know, my heritage is Korean, but I was born and raised in the States. Mm. And I came here when I was 32. And I think I've been here for most of my adult life. So, you know, I think I've really 
I think you have to. You're forced to adopt Australian culture if you're going to survive and enjoy your life here, which I have. As someone who comes from the outside, sometimes I feel like that gives you fresh eyes to a culture and a situation. What were some of the things that, that hit you right off the bat? Well, first, they don't actually say put the shrimp on the barbie. <laughs> <laughs> they call shrimp, shrimp prawns in this country. So I don't know how like Crocodile Dundee comes up with that thing. But I think the biggest thing, I think one of the, the bigger things is... Americans are very driven, they're very goal-oriented, they're very individualistic, you know, so achievement and achieving and achieving better, better, you know, upgrading, everything is always just part of the fabric of that culture. Mm. But then you come over here, and, you know, I'll never forget it, it's like uh, the first conversation I had with an Australian, you know, they were criticizing why Americans are like that, and I said, well, then what is the meaning of life? And he goes, Eddie, the meaning of life is to have a beer with your mates at five o'clock. Oh. And I was like, I, I, I didn't understand what that meant. But now, 17 years later, I totally get it. And I think that's what I actually, I was very critical, of 17, if I'm very honest with you, 17 years ago, because I was like, what is that? You know, have a beer with your mates at 5 o'clock. But then now I realize the power in Australian culture is the community. And it really is saying, hey, let's celebrate our lives and it's not about achieving anything more. It's not about like becoming bigger, better, greater, but it's celebrating what we have, this connection that we have today. And let's not forget that, which I love, the community, you know, the celebration of today. And so our culture is and always has been very intertwined with our spiritual journey. So, you know, an Australian church is obviously going to be quite different to say an African American church. How does a Korean church in Australia differ to, you know, what we might see as like a mainstream Baptist church? Or... That's a good question. I, I can only share from my experience. And I always, I always feel like Koreans, when they came to Australia, you know, Korean churches served as like social centers for Korean immigrants. And so it served more than a spiritual purpose, I think, it, it, which is good and bad. The good is that it brought people together and if the pastor was really good and if the Christians who were leading the church were really good, they really brought a lot of people to Christ. They focused these Korean immigrants upon their eternal reward and their eternal country, their eternal citizenship. And it was actually really beautiful, you know. Um, but I think some churches also got lost in all that. And they'd rather, I think they served more as Korean social centers. And so, you know, instead of pointing them to their true need in Christ, I, 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 I don't mean to be too critical, but... You know, it almost felt as if, you know, being Korean was celebrated more than being a child of God, you know. But they became these pockets that Koreans could be themselves. And so it gave them these safe places where they could express themselves. Because most of these guys who came over, whether they were white collar or blue collar from Korea, they, you know, they, they were blue collar here, you know, office cleaners, uh, hard, hard, hardworking people. And so the church was their way of to connect with other people who were going through the exact same experience. You said you came here to church plants. You don't have to go into the detail of all that, but um, I know that was a bit of a painful experience for you. Can you talk a bit about resilience in ministry? And when you put your hand up to say, God, I'm going to follow you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve your people, how did you grapple with things when they maybe didn't eventuate when you first the way you first thought they would we're getting real deep and tough real quick aren't we <laughs> you, know what? Uh, you don't have to answer if you're not comfortable oh no no it's fine it's fine you know i uh that's just the story isn't it the story of my journey with god 
you know, when I when I first became saved, I loved God. I fell in love, and I would do anything. You know, we say all those things, don't we? I'll do anything for Jesus. And I did. I made myself available, you know, and I became a youth pastor right off the bat. And I was, the first three years, I think I just failed. I, like, you know, my youth students, you know, would rebel. And they're like, oh, you know, you're a terrible pastor. They would tell me all these terrible things. <laughs> and I was. I'll be, I'll be very fair with you. I, I wasn't that good, you know. I, um and like I always felt like most of the things I tried in ministry never really eventuated into what I thought it was going to be like, and so um, I used to be discouraged all the time as a pastor. I always, I always tried to quit because I never thought it was a good fit. I thought God was the like the greatest joker because I never felt like someone like me. It was the right path. It was the, it was a good fit, and because I kept on failing too, and it just proved it. But then every time I would try to run away. Like, you know, I would just meet God, and then God would just love me, and I'd just be like, oh, man, I don't care. If you, this is what you mean, I don't care. But with that church plan, I did plant a church in 2009, and it lasted for two years, and it was, it was a very traumatic experience because when you plant a church, um, you know, you push everything in. You know, your, your, your life savings goes into it, your marriage goes into it. And you invest everything. And maybe I was immature at the time, but it almost felt like it was my baby. I, we never had kids back then, but it felt like your baby. And you, like, nurture it. You care for it. You think about it 24-7, the people that come. And you're just so thankful and happy. But we had to close down that church two years later because my right-hand man slash best friend in Australia uh, basically just did something horrific. And I think a lot of people lost confidence in the in our church. And that actually devastated me. It, you know, I had to go see a counselor. That's when I first started ex experiencing like clinical depression. And so I, I, ne I never felt more like a failure than when that happened. And it wasn't just that I failed, but it, it felt like something in me died because it's like your baby, right? And, and so, you know, I was really devastated. And I, I told God I didn't want to be in ministry anymore. I didn't want to do any of this stuff anymore. And I, and I, I didn't even want to be a Christian anymore. I don't know if I can say that on your thing. <laughs> yeah. But for four weeks, I wasn't a Christian. Let's just say it that way. I just refused. But one day, it, you know, I saw, you know, my Bible mm -hmm. just on my bedside table. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what prompted me to pick it up, but I, I picked it up. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, eight hours later. Wow. Yes. Uh, I was just in tears. And then it was just... I couldn't believe how much I, I was really loved by God. You know, when you're loved by God that by that much, like mm -hmm. that much, and you know it, and you're just absolutely loved and celebrated and adored by the God of the universe, it doesn't matter if you, whatever you go through or whatever you fail, like your failures pale in compas comparison to his love for you. Mm -hmm. And that, it was an easy choice just to surrender fully because, you know, you can't just follow a love like that half-heartedly, right? Especially... After all that, so I said, yeah. I said, I felt like I got saved all over again. Wow. And so to answer the original question, um, I think I, I'll just answer it quickly in two ways. I should have answered it quickly two ways ten minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I feel like I'm, I, I'm, just, I'm just loving the wisdom and insight you're giving, so don't. Number one, if you're loved by this amazing, wonderful, beautiful God this much, then and he's the one leading you there then maybe it doesn't really matter as much whether you're i realize i i think i took too much ownership over the result mm. and instead of 
keeping my eyes focused on the person that was leading me mm. in that direction. Mm. And then secondly, I think I've come to learn over the years after so many disappointments and so many failures that those things were all for me. If, mm. if the God of the universe and his, all of his wisdom out of his per perfect love for me provides every good and perfect gift for me, then if he's leading me towards that, then those things must be for me to know him better, to grow in him better, to become like him more. And if that's what he believes I need and con need and continually need in my life, mm. then failures can be celebrated. So you're back pastoring in a church. Uh, you're you're serving as the English pastor in a Korean church. Um, I imagine that would kind of put you in attention because, as you said, you're Korean, you're American, you're Australian. Um, I wonder how does the gospel for you? transcend cultures I think um, my biggest challenge as a pastor is to help Koreans first or second generation realize and third that really the gospel in Jesus Christ is the answer to all things in life we might say that in the pulpit and a lot of pastors do and a lot of Koreans do but you know like I think in reality and I, I don't know if I'm outing all Koreans but like you know like education comes first Material success comes first. We sometimes, sometimes we even go to church simply because we we want God to bless us in that way, you know. And uh, we want our kids to go to good schools, and you know, all that kind of stuff. This is what you know is a part of our culture. But what people don't realize is that really Jesus Christ is the answer to all things, whether it is what they need as they immigrate here or the second gens need to truly be. To find their real identity, their real core identity, you know, their core citizenship, their core of you know who they really are, who God created them to be. And I realized the biggest thing about us is that we've been told that to be Korean means you know to be this type of Asian, you know, with this type of cultural background, or it means to you know we need to be you know super educated, super successful as immigrants, yada yada. And that's become part of like I think what we've been told Koreans should be. But what I love about the gospel in Jesus Christ is that, you know, he already told us who he created us to be, the image that he created us to be and to reflect in this world. And I always feel like, you know, especially, and I'll, I'll say it like this, there's a lot of Koreans who aren't smart. There's a lot of Koreans who aren't successful. And church sometimes becomes the place that's absolutely discouraging because, you know, did God not bless me? <laughs> you know, and it's, it, it becomes very difficult but yet the gospel for all people, whether they're rich or poor or whether, they're, you know, it helps really uh, ground us as to who we were created to be, what our true eternal purpose is in life. And if Koreans would just realize that here, then they would realize not only who they were really made to be and the God that they were created to and saved to celebrate and reflect, but that we have a, a unique opportunity as Koreans to really reach people here i still don't understand why koreans only want to hang out with koreans a lot of times when our whole lives we've struggled to not be korean to try to fit into caucasian culture and maybe a lot of us have been successful in doing that you know and a lot of us have been successful in learning and adapting to new cultures and but with those skills why can't we now reach people 
of different races, of, of everyone else, because we have those skills. We have those gifts that God has given us to now take the gospel and make it understandable for so many others, you know. And, Eddie, I love talking with you. I think, uh, you know, when you, you expressed a couple times that question of why am I even a pastor? Like, how do I even get into this space? I, I can tell you that resonates with me. Sometimes I, I, I struggle with that thought, but I just want to just want to affirm and encourage like that kind of transparency tells me this is a man who knows he's loved by God and those are the people we need shepherding others in the faith and so I just want to encourage you and affirm you in that I'm thinking about myself here I pastor a church that's historically been uh, very mono-ethnic in the Hawkesbury there's, there's not a lot of uh, multiculturalism I think that's changing um, but what would you what would you tell sort of your classic white Australian that they're missing about Koreans? Most of the Koreans I've met and I've grown up with who are immigrants, like, they'd love to have Caucasian friends. They'd love to have friends to barbecue with and friends to hang out, neighbors to actually trust and share their lives with. But they're just too afraid. That's the reality, right? They're just too afraid to reach out. It's not it's not part of our the fabric or, or value of our culture to do that. You know, we just wanna passively affirm people. That's probably I think I don't know where that's from, but that's just part of our culture. And so you don't find them taking initiative. You don't find them like uh, taking initiative to be friendly, to be neighborly. But you know, if if one of you guys knocked on our door and say, Hey, I live next door, you wanna hang out for dinner? I think I can't imagine them saying no. I think they would be like, wow. They might be a little sus at first. Like, what do they want from me? <laughs> but, you know, over time, I think they would be so thankful. And it's sad because it's just not part of our value system to take the initiative, which I, which I don't understand how or why that happened. Art, something you may not know about Eddie is the man loves shoes. This man. Well, past tense, past tense. <laughs> oh, past yeah, tense. Yeah, now you go barefoot. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry, go ahead. I'm, no, no, I'm okay. no, no, I've I, I, completely changed, though. Have you? In the sense that I used to be like a big Jordan lover. Like Jordans are just... Yeah. And so, and I used to be so proud to own them, wear them. And I never really cared about like if they would rise in value later. I just... Well, things that I thought just looked hot. With, with usually like the attractive ones, they don't go down you know, in price. So you just have to buy them, unfortunately, at retail price. Tough. But now, after like someone introduced me to like, like Adidas Ultra Boost, like these running shoes, <laughs> and I put them on, and I was like, "Oh my goodness, they're like clouds." <laughs> and maybe it's because I'm old, but I'd rather be comfortable than look good. <laughs> and so, unfortunately, what I am is I'm the ultimate bargain shopper. So like, I do look at shoes when I'm in a bad place, and I put them in my cart in so many different stores online. But I wait till they go on like your fifty percent sales, and then I and I and I and if there's an additional thirty percent off with a cash back of the extra twenty percent, you know, I try to get it up for like seventy seventy five percent off, and you know, and I, if if it's the right color and what I want at the right price, I'll buy it. So, I love shoes too. Oh, okay, I'm great. waiting on another pair of Cole Hans to come down on. So. Oh, nice! That's so nice. I really resonated with what you had to say earlier about the centrality of Christ and the Lordship of Christ in people's lives. I think it's the same case for the Aussie church. Perhaps you're just a little more honest about it. 
but I think in the Western world it's very easy for Christianity just to become another club, another social gathering. At least in my context, like it's unfortunate that the church we've served as this place where people can find hope, you know, and relief out of their immigration woes in Jesus, which is totally true and beautiful and wonderful. I always felt like they never took that next step and said, you know, he has to be our everything and he's deserving of our of all. And if they could only find their true identity in Christ alone and realize that God had given each one of us this eternal calling and purpose to reach our generation with this beautiful, amazingly thing, you know, called the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if, once again, just like we've been talking today, if we truly saw him as worthy of all of our all, then all of a sudden, all of our occupations, our education, our friendships and our community would make sense in an eternal way rather than in ways that only serve us and our own happiness. You you talked about, like a, from your perspective, an obvious failing of a, of a church planter and how things ended up. What's a win for a pastor and a church planter? What's the, what's the end game? I used to think a win was like more people or a win was like... I could say at the end of the year, I think I made one disciple this year or two disciples this year. And I think as pastors, we have goals, you know, and, and what pastor doesn't? And we, and, you know, and you need them, you need them, you know, organizational goals, relational goal, goals, ministry goals, we preaching goals. We need them after being in ministry, I think, what, 25, 27 years. I'm a little bit, maybe I'm getting old or whatever it is, but the way I look at success is whether I've truly given myself to people to love and then trusted God to do whatever he wanted to do. I think it's really important to just sit with what you just said there because I think everything in this, the Western culture that we inhabit is driving us towards achievement, is driving us towards marking success. And... And I think what I heard in your statement was faithfulness. Faithfulness to, to apply the gospel of sacrificial love to the people who may or may not actually respond without really regard to whether or not they respond and accept that, which in our society is madness because YOLO, right? You got one life, you know? Maximize it. Make it what you want, you know? So I really appreciate you sharing that, Eddie. You won your fantasy football league last year, didn't you? No, I didn't. <laughs> you didn't? How did you not win it? I know. It's because, okay. I thought you won here's, it. Here's the truth. I had the best team, and I dominated the league, and I went made to the grand final, and I was set to win, okay? But um, I got COVID. Oh, man. And brain fog is real. <laughs> Okay, like it was it was a Sunday night, I remember, and my wife turns to me, we both had COVID at the same time, we were miserable, you know, high fevers, we couldn't think, and she goes, hey, isn't the grand final tomorrow morning, Monday morning? And I said, oh my goodness, it's the grand final, and I looked at my lineup, I, I didn't even know who these players were, and so I was like, oh, what am I going to do? I don't know what to, who to, who to put in. I just put him in, and I woke up the next day, and I lost. Oh, man. And I was so angry because 
two days later when I finally came out of COVID, the anger. How would you explain fantasy football to an Australian? I try, but I, I don't know if... Oh, but they have fantasy, like, you know, rugby league. Do they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's very yeah. very similar to fantasy oh, rugby. You know, I did that to learn the game. Okay. That's hilarious, too. Like, I just wanted to learn rugby league being living, growing, growing up in Sydney. And so I figured there's no better way than to join a fantasy rugby league. And so, like, I was, we were drafting play, all these players. And then one guy said to me in the draft, hey, you're not drafting any second rowers. You're just drafting all front rowers. I said, yeah. Why would I? If he's not good enough to make the front row, why would I? Why would I draft a second row player? I thought it was. I thought they were skill level tiers, but I didn't realize it was a position. Well, Eddie, it has been amazing catching up with you this week. Um, what a blessing to have you here. I hope one day we'll get you back. You might be our first repeat guest. Oh wow! Thank you very much, Arden. It was a pleasure to be here with you guys. Thank you for making it so comfortable. Pass to Eddie Bang there, and gosh, what an encouraging chat! That was amazing. I was I was getting pretty misty there by the end. Yeah, I could tell your glasses were fogging up, and if I was wearing glasses, mine would have been too. It was just <laughs> so wonderful to hear somebody reflecting honestly about their love for Jesus, and to hear a man do it. I mean, can we just say that? Yeah. Like, I feel like there's such pressure around men in this culture to well, especially in like a pastor or a leadership role, you know, where you're just expected to be perfect twenty four seven. Yeah, and I feel like the the idea that everything's got to be polished and buttoned up and put together. And the kingdom of God is messy. And God's not messy, but his work to us can often appear messy. And you know. I feel sorry for the listeners that they didn't get to actually meet him in person. Mm. Yes. No, I, I he's been here once before. We had him for a and a and uh, you can go back on our website. You can actually find him. Um, I know when we were doing COVID and we, there was one week where everyone was sick and I couldn't get into church to do the sermon. So we re-aired a sermon. Well, from that night, we actually had Eddie on Q&A and I encourage you to go back and listen to listen to him as well. It was, it was equally good. Very cool. All right. Well, thanks for another great week. Love doing this with you, Arden. Indeed. Indeed. We'll do it all again next week. Thanks for listening. 